Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is Internet Marketing. Hello everybody and welcome to Internet Marketing episode 208, brought to you by Site Visibility at sitevisibility.com. And in today's show, Kelvin talks to digital content marketer Ryan Skinner of Velocity Partners. So Ryan, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background and um, Velocity Partners and kind of, I suppose, what's the story um, behind Ryan? Uh, yeah, my name is Ryan Skinner. I'm an American digital marketer working for Velocity Partners uh, in London. We're a specialist B2B tech and content marketing agency. I work on the account side, which means basically that I help uh, our usually tech clients uh, make the most out of their digital marketing uh, and get leads in through their website and, and all that good stuff. Mm. And generally using, using content marketing type techniques and tactics. And do you think there's something about kind of content marketing and B2B that particularly kind of goes quite well together? Sure. Um, B2B is... Typically, you know, those long decision-making processes where there's lots of, uh, it's, a, it's a, usually a slow process um, and lots of rounds of decision-making in different stakeholders. Mm-hmm. So um, content marketing works quite well in that perspective in that it, it's, it's the pull, that the, the market pulls the information they want as they need it to support their decision-making process. Um, so it, it allows it to go according to their purchasing rhythm, their sales, mm-hmm. um, their sales rhythm. Which makes a lot of sense, and it allows the the company that's marketing to to try and develop uh, content and, and materials that meet the needs of their buyers as they go through that process. So there's a good there's a good mesh there. And do you find that there's kind of almost a general pattern of how those kind of you know you know the, the I suppose the path that people take through information you know that people tend to maybe download a general guide or you know that kind of is kind of common across B two B businesses or is it actually completely different for every business sector and even potentially different for different clients within the same sector? There's there's some generalities. Um, so, but you can oftentimes find that people sometimes people will come to a B two B site and they'll be ready to buy and we found instances where um, a vendor will try to get them to read this ebook or to read this blog post but they're actually just ready to buy and they can't find the place on the site where it's just let me talk to a salesperson and mm. buy your product so you don't want to get in the way of a sales process and that's uh, that's something that we keep in mind all the time but at the same time yes I mean there's usually there's like a four or five step um, process usually oftentimes um, companies will be researching issues that they're facing without even knowing exactly necessarily the problem 
that they're trying they'll, they'll have a pain point for example they're 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 struggling with their invoicing process they don't know exactly what's wrong so they'll be googling they'll be doing their own research reading articles about what other people are doing they haven't really defined what the problem is nor do they know the solution mm -hmm. um, so content that starts helping people define their problems um, up front uh, is usually really really good content in that you're just you're you're taking them at their at their pain point and starting to get help give them a vocabulary to talk about it before you even start talking about your products or anything like that and then you proceed to you know helping them define more narrowly and then they're going to get to a phase where they're actually considering different products because they've determined what what type of solutions they're after and then finally they're going to make a make a call and and at a certain point you know when they're going to make that final decision usually the marketing steps back and sales takes over mm. and you talk there about kind of some of the different types of content that you you you, you know that a b2b business would potentially be putting together how, do, how have you found the process of kind of coming up with the ideas for those pieces because i suppose you know um, once you've got them in place and it's working effectively it's kind of you know it, it all feels self-evident but kind of how did you come about the kind of you know the process of um, deciding what those pieces of content should be. You know, do you have to? You know, do you have to ask the question first? Yeah, well, yes, I would argue that we should. I mean, there's obviously working out the strategy of what you want to say um, to the people. Uh, that is your high-level strategic issues. What is special about your product? Um, what kinds of people are going to be interested in your kind of product? Uh, what kinds do you not particularly want to attract? The kinds, for example. Uh, you find a lot of businesses that want to focus on other large businesses because they'll find that the cost of the sale and the cost of the maintenance of, for example, a smaller business that doesn't bring in the revenue isn't going to isn't going to be sufficient. So, in their content marketing, they can practically uh, uh, between the lines say to those kinds of companies, "We're not going to be interesting for you. We're not going to provide the level of service that you might need because you don't have expert." on your side that can that can um, pick up and use our software for example or that kind of thing so so yeah I think um, having some strategy up front to determine what kind of messages do you want to stand behind is, is typical marketing mess uh, messaging and positioning um, but then applying that to specific pieces of content that are going to be useful for the people you're targeting potentially if you know the main way that you would measure a piece of content perhaps traditionally would be the number you know in a b2b context of the number of leads that it generates or the number of sales that it generates does that potentially become quite tricky if you're then using the uh, particularly the lead stage um, yeah. you know in terms of if you're trying to pre-qualify that traffic yeah well they're often working with for example marketing automation systems so you're starting to see who's coming in um, and of course with content marketing you're oftentimes going to want to have a pretty good relationship with your salespeople so that they're telling you what kinds of people are going to make for good sales what kinds of people when you get into a, a telephone call are going to make for um, what they call a sales qualified lead so um, you're going to have to work all those things out preferably um, in advance so that, so that your metrics make sense mm -hmm. obviously if you're developing content that's getting lots of downloads potentially lots of form fills but the people that are that are doing that aren't going to be ever interesting for sales then You'll have some pretty looking metrics. You'll have a big numbers maybe, but it's not going to be the type of stuff that moves the dial on your bottom line, and mm -hmm. that's obviously not going to have uh, lead to a lot of smiles in the in the C-suite mm -hmm. up up top. 
And you talked there about, about marketing automation. I think and there's a kind of a huge kind of connection that's being made in, in many cases between content marketing and marketing automation. From your experience of kind of dealing with those kind of pieces of, I suppose, platforms rather than even pieces of software, you know, what's kind of the things that someone, if they're potentially looking at um, deciding on going down the marketing automation route, the things they should be looking for or the things that you've kind of seen that you wish some of those solutions did a little bit better? Well, marketing automation is a... It's a complicated piece of software to use in a really good way. Um, we find a lot of, or you see that a lot of companies that are using marketing automation software are effectively only using them as email blast tools, and and they can often work like that. But for the the more serious marketing automation vendors, I think like Marketo and Aloqua, and even HubSpot, they they know that they're not delivering the real value if people are just using it in that respect, then they should just use a typical email blast type tool, uh, a MailChimp or something of that mm -hmm. nature, which is going to be far cheaper. So um, if you're going to go down the marketing automation route, it, it is a bit complicated and you're going to want to you know, plug into that whole value. And then the question becomes, do you have the time and the resources to devote to it? Um, because if you're spending you know, a day, a month at it, you're going to have to relearn it every time you come to it. It's going to be a waste. Mm -hmm. uh, so a lot of companies, you see a lot of kind of um, consultancies popping up of companies who do it for you effectively. So they start doing a lot of this, setting up the, the funnels for you, start setting up the flows and monitoring it for you and feeding back into your, your, your system. We do that for a few clients where we effectively set things up for them and monitor it for them basically uh, because we have some experience with it and we like to show that our content is working and, and leading to revenue and sales qualified leads and, and business effective. Mm. And I know that you've been, you know, as a kind of organization, you've been very effective at kind of promoting yourself using kind of content marketing. Is there any kind of particular lessons you've learned from kind of, you know, it's the, some of your slide shares that I came across that kind of was my initial kind of interaction um, with you as an organization. How, what experiences have you learned kind of doing this for yourself in, and how does that differ potentially um, from doing it for clients? Because I mean, some of our listeners are indeed agencies and suppliers in, of, you know, um, digital marketing services. Sure. I mean, for us, it, it has been very self-taught. Um, you know, the, the content marketing workbook, for example, mm. which was written, I think, like four or five years ago, long before I joined Velocity, mm. um, is still leading to a significant, or was until we took the forms off recently, was leading to a significant flow of our leads. That's a five-year-old document. So, mm. I mean, it, just that told us, you know, that this content marketing, a good investment and a good piece of content marketing that's well uh, presented and it has, gets a lot of backlinks, basically, that succeeds is a, a tremendous long-term investment. Um, and in the same hand, you can see pieces of content. Um, we haven't seen it as much ourselves, but you see it now and then as people invest a lot in a piece of content and it doesn't get that initial traction and they don't get short-term or long-term results. So um, there can be a big difference um, in how things perform for you on the bottom line. Mm. But um, our recent slide shares, uh, we, Doug did the, the three poisonous metaphors slide share and then the crap slide share. And those were uh, real eye-openers in the power of that SlideShare um, platform. Mm -hmm. uh, they led to just a significant amount, I mean, thousands upon thousands of views. And a lot of people just saying, uh, love that, do it for us, please. Mm -hmm. So that kind of thing um, is really, really valuable. And you see, I think, on the agency side, agencies that become known for doing certain things really well, um, maybe, you know, it could be for us starting to go on this kind of SlideShare rent mm -hmm. type thing. Um, but also like the Jess 3s and what they do with infographics. 
Um, once you get really well known for something, then that attracts a lot of business. That's mm. that kind of specialization and expertise building. Mm. And do you, you know, do you find kind of when, you know, the process of some of these slideshares and, you know, potentially things that you've done similarly for clients that, you know, kind of almost the, you know, the way that most people tend to use slideshare is that they use it to, to kind of extract additional value from something that they've delivered um, kind of in person. Do you find that it kind of potentially requires quite a different sort of style of content to really, you know, take advantage of the platform? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I did a presentation last fall for uh, an event in, in the States and the presentation was very much oral. Um, mm. The slides were very visual. And I went ahead and put it on, on SlideShare. I have to do a recording for it because without the talk track, it's, you know, the value just isn't there. You see a lot of people doing great visual presentations where effectively each slide is just maybe a visual and a word, mm -hmm. uh, which is great for when they're giving you know, a two-minute spiel around it. But when it just sits on SlideShare, it's not doing too much. So mm. you'll, you'll notice that the rants that we've done it's obviously very all self-contained. You yeah. don't have to have a talk track next to it. So, so I mean, there's that for sure. And I think you know, the there's two routes that people are often using SlideShare. One is, as you say, kind of the trying to extract a little bit more value from a presentation that they've given. So they put it there and maybe get in some more leads in that way. Um, the other way is people who are building. Uh, basically, it's kind of a an ebook light or mm -hmm. a, a self-contained piece of content that goes on the SlideShare platform. And that's what crapper or three poisonous mm. metaphors were. Mm. And how do you feel about kind of the you know the world of content marketing? You know, I organised an event called the Content Marketing Show, which kind of perhaps has a, I suppose a slightly SEO route, even if that's not necessarily the direction we want to go. And how do you feel about this kind of like potential the the term being used in potentially quite different circumstances to mean quite different things? Like to the extent that yeah. the content marketing, um, I think it's the Institute in the UK, are rebranded from contract publishing, which is kind of potentially very different from. Uh, Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. 
um, you know, a kind of white hat version of link building or very different for, you know, building social stuff that's, you know, designed to get shared very widely on social networks, but potentially might not um, lead to links. Do you know, is that is that kind of it? actually a problem um, or is it something that kind of like doesn't really matter as long as you know what the objectives um, of your campaign is you can do it and it doesn't really matter what the label is well I think it is a problem and I think it's a problem for marketers to a great degree and you see the whole content marketing field is very hot something mm. like e-consultancy reports said something like 90% said it was going to grow big time this year 70% were going to invest more in it which was the highest tactic growth in terms of any tactic in mm. market so there's a huge flush people pouring into it but there's no I mean Content Marketing Institute and probably the Content Marketing Association you refer to I'm sure they have their definitions but there's very different ideas of what it is mm. and what's, what's part of it and of course you'll find the SEO agencies are doing content marketing as an SEO agency it's basically like a new form of SEO mm. um, you find the contract publishers doing it in their own specific way you'll find an agency that's special like Just3 and Infographics mm. They're going to be doing it in their way. Um, analysts are producing content marketing, and everyone's doing it in their own specific way. Mm -hmm. And I think if you're a marketer, it can be very confusing to, to, to understand what is this person actually meaning by content marketing. It's a very diffuse term. Um, I made the infographic, the content marketing partners infographic, with that understanding that there mm -hmm. is this explosion in the, in the space, and uh, not a lot of... I guess efforts to to try and encapsulate all the different directions that there are within it, mm. um, and I think that that was my effort was to try and define. Okay, here we we found twenty basically different kinds of partners, mm. taxonomy, mm. and then said, okay, roughly, uh, and this is bringing in, of course, huge stereotypes. This mm. is how they think about it, mm. um, and it's always going to be stereotypes. Um, you know, an SEO agency uh, that's very advanced will have a very different idea than, you know, a very, very dirt cheap type mm. SEO agency. And the same thing on the content marketing side, same thing in the co contract publisher side mm. or freelancer or mm. what have you. Mm. So um, trying to define these and at least give people um, a starter in a way mm. of thinking this is how this could be. So, um, yeah, it's, it's growing. It's uh, a very diffuse thing mm. and it's, Think very confusing for the end, end market. Mm. Yeah, I suppose it's exciting in the sense that you know it's good that it's kind of clearly striking a, a, a chord. But I suppose you know, kind of someone with a bit of a vested interest in in the in you know the kind of understanding of the term, it does feel that there's a real danger of kind of almost becoming the you know the next big data, where big data is being used in such diverse you know potential uses with kind of like you know very little consistency in how it's being used and very quickly burning out as a term and you know as a useful um, way of describing things yeah yeah i mean you saw um we recently did a post where we talked about the hype around it and i think we uh, along with anyone else who works in the field will agree the hype isn't really all that useful mm. the, the the content marketing itself is useful mm. the hype isn't mm. um we had you know a plenty of business doing content marketing before it became huge. Mm. Uh, and I'm sure we're getting in lots of leads and lots of interest, but it's not necessarily always to our advantage mm. because we're getting in people who have a, a very skewed idea of what content marketing is before we would teach them mm. and make we can teach them in such a way that it made sense for us and for them. Mm. Now they're coming to us with their own um, ideas of what content marketing mm. is, which you know we could come from any potential source. and. Mm sometimes not necessarily a good source. Mm. 
so what we'd have to effectively kind of unlearn them if we were going to make them into a, a good customer and, and successful with, with our effort together with them. And I was talking to someone recently at a conference, and they were kind of making the argument that the, the lines between B2B and B2C were blurring, and that to a certain extent, as a kind of definition, it wasn't that useful anymore because, you know, um, the kind of the approaches that people use become ever more similar, um, even though the names for them might be different. So, you know, what a B2C company probably wouldn't call something a white paper, but what they might produce might be very similar to what a white paper uh, would do in a kind of downloadable guide or, you know, um, uh, frequently asked questions kind of thing. Um, but do you think there is kind of a fundamental difference in approach still that's useful to kind of, for someone who perhaps making career decisions might want to kind of specialise in one area and build up a, a core competency? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, I mean, there's a lot of B2B firms that are very consumer feeling. I mean, if you look at like 37 Signals, the Basecamp kind of product, effectively mm-hmm. it's a B2B product, but it has a very consumer kind of feel because it's very much, you know, you can buy that sucker uh, and start using it without having, you know, the huge investment. Mm-hmm. So obviously that's something that can be marketed as almost a consumer play. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in B2B, we often talk about the need to to target. You're not targeting a business. You're not writing to a business. You're writing to a person, which is true. Mm-hmm. Um, they've, there's been a lot of studies that say, despite the fact that we all think we're making our decisions based upon a lot of rational criteria, there's a lot of emotion involved. Mm-hmm. So um, we often, in developing our content, try to play off of emotion, try to play off of people's frustration with, with either existing types of software um, or problems that just don't want to go away so we're trying to help them define those and to shape those into a specific solution so yes you're always talking to people but at the same time I mean um, consumer products uh, I don't see you know a typical B2B play having you know a uh, uh, advert on the Super Bowl that mm. kind of thing I mean there's certain directions that they're not likely to go so I mean there's still a difference definitely um, whether they're converging in certain respects they are yeah mm. Do, you, do some businesses find that tricky to kind of find that um, kind of emotional connection and resonance there? Because, you know, in a lot of B2, you know, you talked about kind of, um, you know, software services and, you know, many of those types of businesses, they're kind of pretty well equipped to, um, you know, modern businesses that perhaps don't have legacy approaches um, to their marketing. So therefore, they're very able to kind of position themselves in new and, you know, potentially different ways. Do you find kind of like longer, more established industries perhaps find it a little bit difficult to kind of break out of that in kind of suit and tie and, you know, RFP kind of mentality. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. A lot of these big companies, some of the older industrial, old, older tech organizations are still writing as if they were doing their annual report. Um, there's just the, the, all the communications go through committees and but what comes out is just stale and dry as, you know, as can mm. be. And, you know, people see that and it just turns them off pretty much immediately. Um, I think the idea of what is credible is, to a certain degree, um, has changed because we're expecting a more, uh, a quicker pace of communication, a faster tempo, um, more, I guess, humanism, more type of feel that there's a person talking to you, mm. is rather than this kind of corporate speak. So yeah, we see that all the time, and uh, and and we still encounter it um, oftentimes with people saying, no, we can't say this. It's, it's uh, that's not. It's too informal. We need to take a more formal or a corporate tone. And uh, so we find ourselves arguing the side of, no, we're talking to people. We need to be emotional. We need to, to show empathy uh, for their situation. And we need to speak in a way that's 
easier for them to 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 it feels that that resonates with them. And do you think spokespeople are a good good sort of like initial step into that kind of process of kind of potentially humanizing or at least giving a face to um, organizations that you know because they're ultimately just a collection of individuals. Spokespersons, I, I suppose so. Mm. Um, I mean, ideally, uh, it would just be it'd be a cultural change across a business, and that would of, oftentimes come down from the leadership. Mm. Um, so that would be something that would have to be started at top and saying, mm. "This is how we're going to talk to the market. Uh, we're not going to talk to the market like uh, in corporate speak. We're going to talk to the market in normal human terms." Mm. Uh, that's not going to be done from the bottom up. And it, it never succeeds that way. So um, if you can't make that cultural change from the top, it isn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and bringing in one spokesperson to suddenly be the the easygoing talking guy, if it's not supported from the top, or and it's not really effectively pushed through the entire organization, then it would it'll be a bit. Um, contrived. Yeah, I mean, I certainly get that. You kind of often get these people come in who have kind of evangelists as their job title. He's perhaps been bought into an organisation, or someone who's kind of within the organisation who's kind of developed a, a voice or personality of their own, and then they're kind of given the remit of kind of personalising the brand. And although they do make good movements on that, it's kind of you do sometimes feel that it's kind of a bit of window dressing in some circumstances. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. It sounds like it's. Uh, I mean. It, it would be a fresh wind, I'm sure. Um, potentially, they could bring in new ideas. Potentially, somebody uh, more senior would see it and recognize the value of it, uh, or maybe they even in, uh, commissioned it, commissioned mm. the person to come in and do it. So, um, you know, uh, I haven't personally had a lot of experience mm. with that kind of thing, but. Mm. Yeah, can, can understand the circumstances. I suppose just to finish up, Ryan, in terms of if someone's kind of, you know, they've listened to our conversation here, they've perhaps become a little bit more enthused about, um, the, you know, the concept of, um, you know, concept marketing and the value that can have for them as a, a B2B business. Any kind of like, I suppose, really actionable things you can go and do fairly quickly that will, you know, it's not going to solve the problem overnight, but potentially set you on a good path towards, you know, that, um, that journey that we all think is really important. Well, I mean, I can always obviously plug our own ebooks. Um, they're very, I think they're very useful. I found them very useful even before I started at Velocity. Yeah, There's a content marketing workbook, for example, which was made a good five years ago. We're updating it now with some newer examples, but I mean, that's that's pretty useful. Um, we're going to be hosting a hangout in like a week, week and a half with uh, some of the kind of leading luminaries in the field uh, Joe Chernov, uh, Ardeth Albee, Michael Brenner. Um, these are all pretty big names in the content marketing B2B field. And they're going to be discussing specifically how do you get your stakeholders to invest in content marketing. Uh, so that could be of interest. Uh, I don't know if this is going to be aired before then. So <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll make sure we drop a link to it anyway. So I'm sure there'll be a write-up if we, if we do. It'll be recorded of, as yeah. YouTube, on YouTube. So, so that would be useful. Um, otherwise, you know, following um, content marketing type blogs. Our own blog is, of course, a pretty write-up content marketing all the time content marketing institute e-consultancy has a string of good content marketing posts so these are all good places to go fantastic well thanks very much for that ron um, really enjoyed that um, some really interesting insights to the world of um, content marketing and particularly how it applies to the world of b2b but also kind of plenty of takeaways for pretty much anyone who's trying to use content to try and get their message out there so thanks very much for that ron thanks for the opportunity kelvin i really appreciate it Well, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on the internet at www.internetmarketingpodcast.org where you'll find show notes, links, and instructions on how to subscribe. We would absolutely love to get feedback, comments, and questions from you if you want to send an email. 
send it to kelvin.newman at sitevisibility.com. Also, feel free to comment on the website, and if you'd like to use our voice line number, if you're outside of the UK, it's plus four four one two seven three two five six one five zero. If you're inside the UK, it's o one two seven three two five six one five zero. And you can leave a voice comment or question, and we'll play it on the show. Also, we would absolutely be delighted if you would give us a, a rating on iTunes itself. Well, that's it for now. Andy White signing off until next week on Internet Marketing. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.